Welcome to a continuation of Big Trade NFL edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to go through not only the Tyreek Hill trade, the impact on both teams, but also diagnose and do a little bit of a deep dive on the Chiefs, especially in the Brett Veach era and what it means for team building. And at the beginning, I'm going to talk a little bit about the remaining quarterbacks who have yet to be traded and what could be going on there. All that and more on this edition of Unexpected Points. All right, all right. Welcome back, Unexpected Points. Just going to throw it out right now. Promo code, Unexpected, PFF, 25% off. Go get it. All right, get, get that right out of the way. Um, so I mentioned the Tyreek Hill trade and that's been the biggest news that we saw yesterday. I'm not doing the day by day, moment by moment, free agent signing and trade, uh, on that sort of rapid basis, wrapping things up. I'm normally doing some bigger macro stuff. At least I try to incorporate it into some macro stuff. So that's going to try to do with this Hill trade a little bit. I will discuss the specifics. And my opinion on the trade itself, but I also think it's going to be instructive to look back a little bit further, step out a little bit further, and look back at what the Chiefs have done in relation to building around Patrick Mahomes and the lessons we can learn from there, whether Brett Veach and company have done a good job or a poor job. And I think it's going to go a little bit deeper into some of the thoughts recently in the NFL about the proprietary nature of going all in. Everyone's going all in all the time now. Everyone was following, you know, Les Snead and uh, F Them Picks, which is a meme that your boy right here actually created, believe it or not, that picture that he was wearing on the on the t-shirt. Um that, that he put out was actually something that I tweeted out as a joke after the Jalen Ramsey trade. So er, everyone taking that philosophy, but it's, it's been going on for a while now in the NFL. It's not just in the last couple of years. We've seen that we've seen the building around slash maximizing the contract, the, the rookie contract value for quarterbacks going on for a while now. And I think what you're seeing with the chiefs is the bill eventually comes due especially when everything is structured and all the different contracts are structured in a way where they're really low at first and then you can't get out of them when there are some higher numbers later. Not just Patrick Mahomes you're talking about here because you'll know that I do not believe it's that hard to build around a quarterback. Anyway, well, I'll get to the you know big picture stuff and, and the specifics with, with the Chiefs and what's happening there. Uh, but before I do... Let's just wrap up what's going on with the remaining quarterback market. There's going to be W's and L's are going to be taken here by your humble host and narrator on Unexpected Points, a.k.a. me. And the let, let's just talk W first. I think when I spoke with everyone here on Monday, Matt Ryan had yet to be traded. So there's kind of a combination of a W and an L. I did not think necessarily it would happen. I thought it would be pretty low compensation. So I think the L is in thinking that it would not necessarily happen. The W in the fact that the compensation was fairly low. 
for Ryan. They claim they could have gotten more elsewhere to send him somewhere else. I'm not sure how many, you know, how many other teams are really out there at this point. And that'll be a big factor that I'm going to look at for the remaining quarterbacks who have yet to be traded and what's happening there with that dynamic. So a third round pick is pretty light for Ryan. Um, and I think he's a good fit there for the Colts. They went up dramatically on my improvement index to be the second highest team in this offseason. It was that much of an improvement. We see his grading over Carson Wentz's grading. So it's another year of stopgap type of quarterback performance, but I think they're doing the best job they can possibly do there uh, with the Colts in doing that, other than you know going all in potentially on another earlier draft pick. So I, I'm ambivalent when it comes to the criticism of Chris Ballard. I think he's done a lot of great things to build up that team around the quarterback. Maybe hasn't made the best moves when it comes to the quarterback, primarily that Carson Wentz trade. But the fact that he got out of Wentz, Wentz's deal will get a third and a conditional second and only gave up a third here for Matt Ryan. It helps mitigate some of the costs of the original Carson Wentz trade. The one play you say he could have made potentially is I heard that he did not make a very big offer or a substantial offer or was really willing to be part of the Matthew Stafford sweepstakes. So I don't know if the Colts had a realistic chance to get him above the relationship that had been formed between Stafford and McVay in LA, but they did not try. So that that's probably the one thing you can you can really ding them on. But then again, at the time, I, I would have probably thought that was the right thing to do is not to go too far in on Matthew Stafford, not to go above two first round picks that were being sent out for him. So hindsight is 2020, though. And if you wanted to have hindsight about that play by Ballard, I think you could. Now going further into the L's and you're again, your boy's taking a lot of L's here. Uh, I thought that Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield, the two remaining quarterbacks out there in the market, I thought they would have good markets. I thought that a day two pick or maybe two for either of these guys would be a realistic compensation package considering what Sam Darnold had gone for last year, considering what Carson Wentz had gone for last year and this year. I don't see why you would pay any more for those guys versus Garoppolo and Baker. I think the... The problem seems to have been that Garoppolo has this shoulder deal going on, which may have lessened people's willingness to jump right in towards Garoppolo. And there just wasn't, there wasn't really a market forming for him. So that, so that happened. The problem with Baker seems to be more that so many of these quarterback questions had settled themselves. And all that's really left now when Baker was there was the Colts, maybe the Seahawks, maybe the Panthers, maybe the Lions who I mentioned, but not many other people are mentioning. Um, those are, there's a, there's a maybe floating around out there and there just isn't enough interest to attract real leverage in a real market. So at this point, I think when it comes to Garoppolo and when it comes to Baker, the smart move by those teams presuming they still want to trade these guys. I think in the case of the Browns, it's obvious they, they, they really want to trade Baker Mayfield would be to sit back and wait until after the NFL draft. Some teams may be thinking that they'll be in the quarterback market in the draft here. And 
if they don't get who they want, that will potentially open some things up to make some deals later on this summer. And even further, you know, there might be a quarterback injury or something like that that could build up some leverage. I, I'm not one of these people that believes, though, that a team stating its intention or making it obvious that they're going to trade away a quarterback loses leverage for them. I think teams generally don't want to be so upfront about that because it just brings on a lot of scrutiny, a lot of talk. It puts a spotlight on you if you say, you know, early this offseason, let's say, if you say, yeah, we want to move on from Baker Mayfield. You just be having to field questions about it all the time. You'd be written about all the time, speculation all over the place. The fan base is on pins and needles all the time. So I think that's really the reason you don't do it. Just having other teams know that you don't want to keep a quarterback is not really losing leverage because the leverage in these negotiations comes from multiple bidders. And that's the problem with Garoppolo and Mayfield now. At best, they probably have one bidder. And when you have one bidder and that team doesn't know, knows that you're not going to keep that quarterback, then yeah it's hard to get leverage in that situation. As long as you have multiple bidders, it does not matter whether you're going to keep the quarterback or not. Everyone knew that Carson Wentz was not going to be kept. Um, everyone has known in the past when, you know, Deshaun Watson doesn't, wasn't going to be kept that as long as you have multiple bidders bidding against each other, that's what truly matters because there's no credible threat of saying, Oh yeah, we're just going to keep this quarterback instead. Once you have put out there that you are willing to trade a potential franchise quarterback type of guy, then everyone knows you are not sold on them. And that's it. You know, the leverage, any sort of we'll keep them instead leverage doesn't exist anyway. It's kind of like in the NFL draft where they try to make a big deal of teams pretending they're not going to take a quarterback number one because they want to have leverage to potentially trade the pick. It's like, no, there's no, there's no such thing as leverage. Like if another team wants to do something, they want to do it. If you're going to pretend oh, I'm not going to trade away this number one pick because I might actually draft this quarterback instead. No, people people are smarter than that. You're not going to pass up a potential franchise quarterback for trade compensation if you really believe that that person is the right, is the right quarterback. So there isn't really leverage in that situation. So I, I just think for, for Baker and for Garoppolo, it's probably going to be post-draft when something happens. I don't think either team is going to rush to fire sale them. Although the cap ramifications, you know, 25 for Garoppolo and maybe 18 for Mayfield are interesting. But if those guys end up being cut, if those guys end up being traded for day three picks, those will be, that'll be some L's for, for me. Because I believe in those quarterbacks maybe a little bit more than the market does. And I just thought that the established markets from Wentz and from Darnold were accurate. But the thing is, those happened so much earlier in their respective off seasons that it was before the potential bidders whittled down as they have in this season. All right, so before I get to all the Chiefs talk, let's talk some advertisements here. And let's talk DraftKings specifically. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 free in bets if they win. It's that simple. If your sportsbook is not available in your state, you can take your shot at a big payday. Everyone play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. 
That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or older, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. And let's go to Manscaped. Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's, your, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skincare kit for the everyday man that covers you from head to toe. Manscaped is trusted below the waist and now trust them with the rest. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF. That's 20% off and free shipping with promo code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. All right, let's let's go Tyreek Hill trade. So Tyreek Hill is traded for a first, a second, and multiple later round picks. One this season, a couple into into the future. I crunched the war numbers on this one, and I think we saw this versus the Devontae Adams trade. Devontae Adams trade came out to about 0.94 war. This one comes out to more like 1.2, so a more substantial amount. Tyreek Hill is a year younger than Adams. But what I also think that this reveals to a point... Now, maybe the Chiefs had more leverage because they had the multiple bidders here versus Adams just wanting to go to the Raiders. But I also think that, and this is maybe why I'm not quite as high on Devontae Adams as some other guys who are target hogs but are not necessarily athletic phenom, field-stretching types, Types I don't value them quite as much as some others may. Although I get it, like I get the DeAndre Hopkins of the world and the Devontae Adams of the world and other guys like that are are valuable, but I guess it's just something that can't be replicated that is more irreplaceable when it comes to the skill set of a Tyreek Hill or, you know, it's, it's a big reason why I was always kind of a big Julio Jones guy, despite the lack of touchdowns. And maybe he was outproduced by Antonio Brown sometimes and others. It's just because there's something that can't be replicated with the way they change the gravity and the geometry of defenses. And I think that was reflected in, in this deal here, because not only did Tyreek Hill get so much in trade compensation, but he got such a huge amount of re-signing for the contract. I mean, my big picture of the trade here is at, it's a useful, you could call you, you could call it a heuristic when we're talking about decision-making here. It's useful to say, if you are going to trade significant draft capital for a non-quarterback and then sign them to a top-of-market contract, those two things combined, nearly impossible to gain value on on this deal for the Dolphins, in my opinion. So the flip side of that for the Chiefs would be, if you were going to have to sign that same exact contract, I think they probably could have gone in a little bit lower, but let's just say, hypothetically, you had to sign that same exact contract, and the opportunity cost is not getting those draft picks off of the books and getting that freeing up that cap space, it's almost always a good move from that perspective too. I hedge a little bit on that with Hill more so than I even do with Devonte Adams and more so than I would do with, you know, the, the Jamal Adams deal, the Laramie Tunsil deal 
to a degree, the Jalen Ramsey deal, but I do think Jalen Ramsey is a truly, truly special player. And I think Tyreek Hill is a truly, truly special player also. He is 28 years old. So if it was something like 26, I would be more reticent to, to make this type of move. But when you think of the Kansas City Chiefs and you think of that offense, the two pieces to me that really matter. Now, I know Kelsey is up there. I put him maybe as like a one 1B, tier 1B player in that offense. But to me, the two players who really change everything, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, of course, and then the second would be Tyreek Hill. So losing that element, it really does change things. Maybe he's his value has been hampered by the new too high safeties that are being played the shell coverages that are being played against Tyreek. That might be part of it. But then again, you know, we saw him at the end of the Bills game take a a dig route that was maybe 15 yards down the field, grab it, run sideline to sideline, go around the entire team and take it in for a 60-yard touchdown. No one else in the NFL probably is making that same play. So when you can make a play that no one else in the NFL can make, that changes a lot of things for for a team. Whether he'll be maximized with Tua or not, those sorts of situations, I think it's you know doubtful that he will be, although Alex Smith did a pretty good job. Tyreek Hill had a big season with him. He was highly effective throwing the ball down the field to Tyreek Hill. Alex Smith was. It just wasn't at the same volume as we saw Patrick Mahomes throwing it down the field to Hill before these coverage shifts. So to me, it, it, it kind of falls a little bit into this lose-lose type of category, although for the Chiefs, it's probably a wash more than anything else. I, I My my cold-blooded analytical calculator brain would have to say that this is a win for the Chiefs, but there's just something about what Tyreek Hill does that makes this a little bit more difficult to sign off on. And the reason, another reason why it's more difficult to sign off on is if we step back out and look at the bigger picture is and this is what I'm going to discuss here going through the deep dive into the what the Chiefs have done is it's not like the Chiefs have foregone spending big for other players who don't require the investment that Tyreek Hill was going to get um but they also you know wouldn't get the trade value that Tyreek Hill is going to get for a reason and that is they're not as dynamic of a of players, but yet the Chiefs are paying them a bunch and have kind of put themselves in a situation here where it made it difficult to cough up a little extra money for Hill after having him on such a bargain deal before. So I'm going to look through basically 2017, so when Mahomes came on board, until today, look at how the Chiefs have structured the team, how the decisions have been made in the draft, in trading, in free agency and some of the bigger picture values for why I think they've they've done the wrong thing in this perpetual all-in type of atmosphere. And losing Tyreek Hill and having to go through what could be a mid-career, not rebuild-ish sort of thing for Patrick Mahomes, but it's setting up a roller coaster, more of a roller coaster of up or down with your flexibility with the cap and how you can build around Mahomes more so than I would want to see. 
And again, you know, I'll kind of I'll contrast this later to what the Patriots had done in the past, where you just didn't see that from them. And it's about sustaining your championship window and your highest level team for as long as possible. For me, once you have that that quarterback, that Patrick Mahomes, then it is about worrying about piling into a rookie contract window. You know, that's something you maybe try to do with the Mitch Trubisky's of the world, with the Tua Tungavailoa's of the world. Um, not with the Patrick Mahomes of the world. So looking back to 2017, before I go through some of these individual moves, I'm going to give you my overarching credit, blame, sort of proportions that belong to different types of moves for a, a front office. Trades, I believe, are the most important thing that a front office can do in that they control the most. They deserve the most credit or blame. You can see almost in advance whether or not they're good or not. It's very, it's, it's, it's less of a coin toss, essentially. Whereas second, free agency is, is more of a coin toss. You see certain situations where, you know, the Buffalo Bills spend a lot of money in free agency and it ends up paying paying for paying out for them. Then you see a lot of teams that spend in free agency. Most teams spend in free agency. It doesn't work. So there's definitely a coin flip notion to that. And and with that, I'll also put into maybe between trades and free agency is the decisions a team makes on extending or, or releasing players, letting them walk in, in free agency. That's another one where I think you can get a lot of credit for that as a GM. So trades, extending and releasing next free agency next. And then last, in my opinion, is the draft. Specifically, the picks that are made within a draft. The two things that you can control, I think, in the draft are targeting the proper players in positional value. So positional value and trading back and trying to gain some draft capital in that sort of way. So that's how I would look at it. Most people focus so much on the draft and giving credit to GMs for picks or not having picks in the draft, where I believe that's more of a crapshoot. And the trades are what really should be focused on much more when it comes to GMs. So let's let's walk through the years here. 2017 is a weird year. Obviously, they bring in Patrick Mahomes in that year. But technically, John Dorsey was still the GM through the draft. Uh, he was out after that. And then Brett Veach came in. Veach gets a lot of credit for the Mahomes pick. Andy Reid has credited him with a lot of that different work. But then Reid was also doing a lot of work for Mahomes. And again, you know, if Mahomes is not there, if they're not able to trade up for him at 10, if someone else swoops in and grabs him earlier, then it doesn't matter how much you like the guy. He might not be able to get him. And the opinion on him had been had been going up in NFL rooms. I have pretty good sourcing on the fact that the Browns were very interested in taking Mahomes at 12, if he would have been there at 12. Again, you, you make your own luck, of course, with this and this type of trade where it does it. But the amount of credit or blame, maybe I don't give as much credit to each year, number one, because I just don't credit as much hitting on, on draft picks as some others do. And number two, Reed was involved, Dorsey was involved, and you know Mahomes had to actually be there for, for, for that uh, play to happen. Okay, 2018. This is the first real year we can say Veach is in the house. So first, let's look at trades. Again, the most important thing here. 
They traded an offensive, uh, you know, a throwaway offensive lineman for Javarius Ward, who has now left the team to sign a big deal with San Francisco, but got very productive years out of him. So that was a great move for Veach. I'll, I'll credit him with that one there. To free agency, it's almost weird to think back because I remember Sammy Watkins, all the talk that was about him the entire year. So they paid Sammy Watkins. One part of it, the first deal, part of it was bringing him back for one more year. But they paid Sammy Watkins $43 million, the Chiefs paid him, for three years. Including, you know, a lot, $17 million per year for the first couple of years, effectively. And then they decided to bring him back in, in 2020 for $9 million. That, that's one I'll scrutinize in a second. So this is just a bad, bad play. And this is a big swing play. This is the biggest swing of the offseason and bad move in free agency. And I think that's one of the moves that would have been critiqued at the time. And certainly bringing him back again would have been critiqued at the time fairly. Not too much in the draft in, in 2018. Uh, Derek Nandi was pretty good, somewhat productive. Uh, they brought him back here for another year. So that's about it. So looking checkered, mixed for, for Veach and company so far. 2019. Okay, let's start with trading. Frank Clark, you give up a first round pick and a future second round pick. You have paid Frank Clark $63.5 million over the last three years. And now he is restructured for another two years for a total of $29 million. So over $20 million a year, you've been paying this guy. Over $21 million a year for Frank Clark, who has not done a whole lot. Plus a first and second round pick bus trade, awful trade um, criticized it in the moment. Again, it, it, it's the flip side of what I talked about with Tyreek Hill earlier about trading picks to get a non quarterback and then pay him handsomely. is just generally a poor move, especially when it's not a real unique unicorn type of impact making player. And Frank Clark is clearly not that. Um, but another trade that happened, uh, they got Emmanuel Ogba for Eric Murray, uh, uh, suckering John Dorsey, their former his former uh, boss there on that trade. Again, it's it's not a huge deal, but Ogba was fairly productive before before getting injured there, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the the smaller trade for Traverius Ward before. So another good small trade that I'll that I'll give um, I'll give Beach credit for. Free agency. Okay, the W here in free agency in 2019 for Veach. Uh, Teran Matthew, he played out his three-year $42 million deal. Second team All-Pro in 2019. First team All-Pro in 2020. And for what it's worth, he made the Pro Bowl even in 2021. So he played out that deal. They'll probably get a comp pick for him wherever he goes. Maybe not a substantial one because he's a bit older. So that was what could have been seen as a somewhat of a risky deal, but... Again, I'm going to give a little bit more credit here than I give for draft picks, and I'd say that that's a, that's a pretty good positive for for Veach having that having that deal. That's probably the one big swing type of move that Veach made that and that actually ended up paying off. And when we go to the 2018 draft, eh, it's, it's kind of hard. I'm sorry, the 2019 draft. McCole Hardman in the second round. Juan Thornhill's been decent, you know, as safety, pretty good in the second round there. Kalen Sanders, Rashad Fenton, Darwin Thompson, Nick Allegretti. N- not a whole lot going on there. Again, hampered by the fact they don't have their first round pick. 
because of trading that away. Although they did have multiple second round picks because of letting, well, that's another thing they, they did do, which I guess I should, should, should talk about here is the fact that they let, they let, they did, they did let some players go. Um, why is the name escaping me now? They did let some players go. Um, it, oh, D Ford. So they did let D Ford go, but they, which was, I think was a good move. They got a second round pick for it, but it was after franchise tagging him. But again, they kind of just wiped all that out with the flank, with the, with the Frank Clark deal. But it did, again, that, that's a positive move and I'll, I'll give some, some credit there. Okay, let's go to 2020. Bring back Sammy Watkins, as I mentioned earlier, for $9 million. Not so hot there. And I think this is post-Super Bowl. So this is this is like this is when they really start to get into the run it back, do whatever we can to run it back type of mode. And I think it was when there first starts to be some problems here. And this is also happens to be the offseason where just praise was being lavished on Brett Veach here after winning the Super Bowl. Being called the best GM in the NFL by a bunch of places, which I did not agree with at the time. and do not agree with now. Um, if you look at the moves that he made there, bringing back Sammy Watkins for $9 million. It's only a one-year $9 million deal. It doesn't really hamper, you know, impair you super into the future, but why? And then what he did do is he got a lot of good guys to extend for cheap. Now, how much is that him being a great negotiator versus the goodwill of winning the Super Bowl the type of person Patrick Mahomes is willing to take this 10-year, $450 million deal and the other players wanting to, to stay with him. Because if you look at objectively, the Mahomes contract, the Chris Jones contract, and the Kelsey contract were all under market deals, I would say, versus what those guys would get, obviously, as free agents. Um, but even what those players would normally resign with their own teams. The issue, though is that in the Mahomes contract, they built in extremely low cap hits these for the first couple of years, under $10 million both of those years. Now it jumps up to $35 million and will be up in the 40 range, going as high as 55 60 later on in the deal. For the Chris Jones contract, you know, they restructured it last year. And now for this year, it's, again, started low. It's $29 million cap hit this year, $27 million cap hit next year. They can get out next year for $20 million in savings, so, so maybe they'll do that. Kelsey, same sort of deal. Uh, we're still at a decent cap hit now at $8.8 million this year, but then it goes up to 14.6 and 16.4, and they can cut him and save money in 2023, which will be his age 34 season. But again, you're, you're going to have cap hits associated with that, even if you cut him at that point. So this is really the structuring for a, a two-year window of all-in, and maybe you could say that worked out because they did make the Super Bowl again in, in 2020. So yeah, maybe you can say that, but the problem is the, the add-on effects for 2021 and then 2022. Now, when we see Tyreek Hill having to get traded and then of course, let's go to the draft here. We can't forget CEH being taken in the first round, which kind of wipes out any sort of goodwill that you could, you could take from previous draft picks there because it's just such an obviously bad move. And then you got Legereus Sneed in the fourth round. I mean, I chalked that up to luck more than anything else, but it is a productive player uh, that they got in the draft. All right, let's go to 2021 now. And what was happening last offseason? We have Joe Tooney coming in, 
again, it's more piling on of this backloading of contracts, and it's more big swings when you're doing that. 4.5 million cap in in his first year, then 8 million, which you're seeing this year. Next year, Joe Tooney, 22 million, and you cannot get out of that. His $15 million guaranteed salary already, it's already in there. And then it goes 22 and 22 after that. Big, big numbers. Orlando Brown, you know, they do a pick swap here and they're locked into probably signing him to a big contract. Again, another big swing, another, I won't say desperate, but you're not just viewing each move independent of how valuable it is, which you should be doing more and more so if you have it a 10, 12 year quarterback who's going to be there. You don't have to worry as much about windows. I don't think maximizing windows in that sort of situation. So they gave up a little bit of draft capital on that one. They took on a player that the Ravens were willing to get rid of. They got him, you know, somewhat cheap his first year, but now $16 million is what he's being paid right now on the franchise tag. And they're probably gonna have to pay him a lot of money going forward. Uh, they did draft Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Those are two good draft picks. But again, it's one of those things where I can give credit to, to Veach for these, but these are the ones that I give the least amount of credit to GMs for. It's just hitting on second, third, fourth round picks. Uh, in the case of Trey Smith, even later. Um, well, actually, was Trey Smith fourth? No, he's sixth round pick. Yeah, so I'm not going to give a super amount of credit there. And then now we get to 2022. They're restructuring guys. And now they're go ahead and trading away Tyreek Hill. I'm not going to go over the Tyreek Hill trade again because I gave you my opinion on it earlier. But it is really a consequence of all these other things that are happening. The cap is not real. People are in disarray right now because you can only restructure so many times. The cap may not have been real in 2020 when they brought everyone back. Maybe the cap wasn't real in 2021 when they bring in Joe Thune and Orlando Brown and, and they still have everyone there. But now in 2022, they're letting Tyrone Matthew walk. They're letting um, Javarius Ward walk. They're trading away Tyreek Hill. And a lot of it is a consequence of not only what these big cap increases that are starting to come through now, but what will come through for the next couple of years and the folly of maximizing the the windows. So this would be the two big follies. Number one, the maximizing windows, which I've gone over a big time here. And number two, the thought that you need to take big swings when – I was about to mix my metaphors here. I was going to say when the iron is hot. But you need to take big swings when, let's say, you have the bases loaded. I'll try to keep my metaphor together there. And the big swings for Veach, other than the Taran Matthew contract, the big swings have all been bus. And despite that, you had a team – who went to the AFC Championship game, won the Super Bowl, and lost in the Super Bowl again the next year, and then went to the AFC Championship game again, despite all that. Because you had Patrick Mahomes, because you have Andy Reid as your coach, because you had successful draft picks from before Veach was even there, like Chris Jones, like Travis Kelsey, um, like Tyreek Hill. You had all that. You had a, you had a strong run in the draft, which is like, again, mostly luck. And you're still able to get that far because of how strong that, that move was. And then you made productive moves around it. What's funny about Veach is the big swings were bad. The little swings were pretty good. The little trade for Traverius Ward, the little trade for um, Emmanuel Ogba. 
the little draft picks of Legarius Sneed or um or uh getting Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey, those littler sorts of moves have ended up being the ones that are the most important for building the team. And that's why I don't believe in this philosophy of for non-quarterbacks that you just need to have this these top tier, top tier players and do anything to, to get them and spend a bunch of money and to maximize your window to bring them in. I know that the Rams won building that strategy around their quarterback, but the reality is you try to make incremental benefits off of all of these smaller moves, giving yourself cap space and flexibility in the future to react to when you can gain value rather than being reactive to when you think you need to make a change. We need to fix the offensive line. So we're going to pour everything into this. We need to run it back after winning the Super Bowl. So we're going to pour everything into this and, and, and maximize things in that way. And now this year, we need to free up cap space so we don't have Tyreek Hill, which again, that could work out, but I put it on a on a questionable move. It's not you know, Frank Clark, Terry kill is not Frank Clark. Okay. He's a special player. So the, the fact that the chiefs have misdiagnosed the window and then also misdiagnosed how important these smaller moves can be and how they've lost even the ability to be opportunistic in some way with these smaller moves, with the fact that they're so cash strapped and have such cap problems now going forward. Again, next year, Joe Thune, $22 million. Orlando Brown will have a new deal. Who knows what it'll be? Probably more than $10 million. Uh, Travis Kelsey will be $15 million. Chris Jones will be $27 million. Patrick Mahomes will be above $40 million. That's only for that many players. Building around is going to be tougher and tougher, and the, bat- the ability to get those little incremental benefits off of smaller deals is going to be tougher and tougher for them going forward. All right, guys, that was my rant on the Chiefs here. We're going to cut it a little bit short. I know there's all kinds of free agency moves going on there. We'll try to do more of a diagnose, diagnose a wrap-up and rank the teams next year. In the meantime, go ahead and rate, review the pod. I'm actually going to be on vacation next week, but I'm still going to try to throw out a couple of pods here for you guys to wrap up everything that's happening and plus get into some of the quarterbacks of this draft class and everything that's going on with the draft, which will be the next rapidly approaching part of the NFL offseason. Okay, thanks so much, everyone, for listening in, and I will be talking at you next week. Take care.